Uh, we're going to we're going to jump back into Mark here and uh, talk about what I think is the most important decision that you can make uh, in your entire life. And, and it's something that that I think we intellectually might know, but that we don't always move from theory to practice, if I could say it that way. Um, so go take your Bible, go to Mark chapter eight. We're going to be in Mark chapter eight, verse twenty seven. If you have a Bible, you can meet me there. If you got your notes, you can get those out. Um, we got binders back in the back if you want to grab one later or up here on the. On the stage corners, you can grab a, a binder to keep your notes. And then if you have a, a smartphone or something, you can go to Version Bible app and go under events and find the scriptures there. But while you're turning there, Mark chapter 8, there, there's what I love about the Gospels is the context is amazing, right? And, you know, we could take the next like three years and just go through Mark and maybe we'll do that someday. But as you come to Mark chapter 8 and you come to this um, place in Mark that I think is the crescendo of what the book is teaching. And, and really what you're going to see is like the greatest and the worst 90 seconds in the life of any Christian ever. <laughs> like literally like in a minute and a half things go for Peter. Shocker. Things go for Peter from wow to ugh, really fast. Like real fast. And so we're, we're going to go there. But but as as you get to this point, what what is so important is what's going to happen. I'll give you a spoiler. What's going to happen in our text is Jesus is going to ask his disciples, who do people say I am and who do you say I am? And Peter's going to give a great answer. Right. But leading up to that is all of the book of Mark, and it's just ramping up to this confession that Peter makes and this confession that you and I ought to make. But all these things are, are leading up to it that allow Peter to grasp this concept, even though he didn't really grasp it. But in the immediate context, we, we see Jesus heal a deaf and a mute man. So he, he can't hear and he can't speak. And Jesus heals him. And then Jesus says, don't tell anybody. So just don't tell me the Bible's not funny. This guy hasn't been able to hear and he hasn't been able to speak for his whole life. <laughs> Jesus heals his voice and says, don't tell anybody. <laughs> you think that guy obeyed or disobeyed the first command of Jesus he ever heard? Right. So he hears God for the first time. Like, think about that. The first, you didn't hear his mommy's voice for the first. He got to hear God's voice first. And then the first thing he wanted to do was what we're all called to do. And God tells him not to. I know you're hearing me for the first time and you want to speak for the first time, but I don't want you to do that. That's, that is in the immediate context here. But then, then he moves from that into a second feeding of thousands of people. So I referenced last week that in context, there was the feeding of the 5,000. Now this week, we've got this healing. Don't tell anybody. And then the feeding of the 4,000, which was actually probably more than that because they didn't count everybody or whatever. But another miracle feeding. So a healing, 
a feeding. And then the Pharisees tell Jesus to give him a sign or he isn't real, right? Like, do you ever like, do you ever like catch a fish or something? Somebody would be like, photo or wasn't real, right? Like that's kind of what the Pharisees come to Jesus. And, and what's hilarious is that in context, they're saying, give us a sign or you're not who you say you are. If I was Jesus, I would have been like, hey, moron. I just fed 4,000 people with nothing. And in case that wasn't cool, that guy that you've known for a long time that couldn't hear and couldn't speak. Oh, by the way, he can hear and speak, but he isn't because I told him not to. Right. You know, because I don't need to give you a sign, bro. And so, like, that's how your pastor thinks. Pray for me. <laughs> it's not how Jesus thinks. Praise God. But it just religious people, right? Don't roll your eyes too much. We are that person, right? Think, think about the context here. Think about all the things that God was doing around these people and they couldn't see him, right? Think about your life. If you were to stop and take inventory of the past 10 years and just think about all that God's done in your life, all that he's brought you through, all that he's done, aren't, aren't we those people? Saying, God, give me a sign. Come on, give me a sign. And he's standing there going, hello. <laughs> Case in point, the last all of your life. Right? It's true. And then right before our text, right before walking into this place that Jesus is going to do, Jesus has this amazing encounter with a blind man. And the sequence of events is perfect. Right? So it's just those things that I just talked about. And then right before Jesus is going to ask this important question, Jesus has this encounter with this blind man and he heals him in two stages. And it's true for you and I. He heals him in two stages. And, and in this first stage, this, this man gets his sight restored partially. And so he begins to see things in a blurry way. And he even says, God, like I can, Jesus, like I, I can see stuff kind of looks like trees, like these things walking around, kind of looks like trees, and Jesus goes back to work on him and works on him a little more, and then he opens his eyes and he can see the Son of God. You know, the Bible says that in this life we see things in part, but then we will see things in whole as they should be. And, and that's true for you and I. And it's true for the story we're about to read that, that there are some things in your life that you're going to know are there. You're going to know are true. But you're not going to be able to see totally clear. And Peter's going to be our living example of that. But go to Mark chapter 8 verse 27. Let's just read the first couple of verses and then we'll talk about it. So it's right on the heels of that interesting healing. Jesus comes to his disciples and asks this important question. Verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went to the village of Caesarea Philippi. More on that place in just a second. On the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say I am? Who do people say that I am? And they said, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And then verse 29, he asked them, but who do you say that I am. And listen to Peter's answer. <laughs> what a great answer. You are the Christ. 
That's a powerful answer. And then I love this, verse 30. Then he warned them not to tell anyone. <laughs> You're just like, why do you keep doing that? <laughs> Stop doing that, right? But the reason's going to come in a second why Jesus said that. But listen, it, it, it was not a... One of the things I love about the Bible is everything matters, right? Everything matters. And so when Jesus is walking his disciples, he's walking them to this place called Caesarea Philippi. And uh, you can do some research on your own this week and kind of figure that out. But uh, th- this was a significant thing. So if you were to go to um, Caesarea Philippi today, you would just see a rock face and there'd be a hole in it, right? And that, that's what you would see. But back in the day, in front of that uh, hole in the rock face, so the rock face, you go in and then there's this, what we now know is just a really deep well, but they didn't know that then. And so uh, what would happen is water would come up out of that and come rushing out and feed the city. And uh, But then it would go back in and it would go way down and they didn't know. So what they did was they built a temple coming out of that. You can just Google Caesarea Philippi and you can see, you can see these pictures. All right, not now. All right. But um, they built a temple coming out of that. So like the water would come up and flow through the temple and it would give life. But then it would go back down and it would it would go way down and nobody would know. And it was this just this giant pit. And so they they named this place the gates of hell, the gates of hell, because all they knew is something or someone or some deity is down there and deciding whether they're going to give us life or not. And so they built this temple and they would worship whatever this was. And there was all kinds of prostitution, all kinds of debauchery and all kinds of all the things that our culture struggles with now. They were struggling with then false worship. And so there's this temple and Caesarea Philippi. Jesus walks them up to this place, walks them to this busy place of idolatry. And he looks at Peter and says, who, who do these people say that I am? You know, they've got all this, all this that they're worshiping, all this that they're doing. But who do people say that I am? And they actually thought Jesus was a pretty decent guy, right? Like John, Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest guy who ever lived. So that was a compliment, but it was wrong. He wasn't just a good guy. Some say Elijah that was a real compliment. Think about Elijah. He was, he was a hero of the faith. Right? This is the guy that called down fire from heaven. Right? Remember he was mocking the, the guys saying like, maybe, maybe Baal went potty. Right? And, you know, making fun of him. That's in the Bible, by the way. You can look it up. Maybe not translated that way, but that's what he said. I think he said maybe he's going to the bathroom or relieving himself or something like that. But it's more fun if we think about it like that. Right? And then he goes to his altar, which he's doused in water and sees God through his prayers called out fire from heaven. That's quite a compliment. Maybe it's just Elijah come back to life. He's doing some crazy stuff, right? Think about the context. They saw these things. Some say Elijah. Still others, one of the prophets. You know, he's a really good teacher. I mean, nobody teaches like Jesus. Jesus, I mean, he's like, he's got this new way. Speaks with authority. And then Jesus, you know, in that setting, looks at them and says, what about you? And he's saying to you and I today, what about us? What do we say about Jesus? 
And I just want, I want you to know that the most important question you will ever answer in your entire life is what do you do with Jesus? Whether you've been following him for a long time or whether you have never crossed that line of faith, this is the single most important question you could ever ask. And so they're in this place. They've walked probably 25 miles on foot. It's taken a while. And all these things are in front of them. And Jesus asks them in this climax story what they're going to do with Jesus. And Peter, of course, answers the question in the only appropriate way. You are the Christ, the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. And listen, no matter what happens in your entire life, no matter how famous you become or infamous you become, or maybe nobody will ever know your name, this is the most important question. Think about it. He's the biggest figure in the history of the world. There's more paintings about him. There's more songs sung to him. There's more poems about him. There's more books written about him. And we could just go on and on and on. He's the greatest figure. But there's an inescapable question that you must personally walk through. Will I confess Jesus as Lord or not? You see, because most of us say, of course. But what does that look like in reality? You see, because then the text takes an amazing shift, right? We're, we're talking like 90 seconds. <laughs> it goes from this amazing thing. Jesus has walked them 25 miles to Caesarea Philippi. Caesar and Philip, they've named this place and they're standing in front of this temple, the gates of hell, and Jesus is asking them who he is. Peter answers perfectly and then Jesus begins to unfold for them the plan. Are you aware that God has a plan for your life? Are you aware that some of you don't like the plan that God has for your life? God's going to give Peter the plan. Peter's not going to like the plan. And here's what it here's what the Bible says in Mark chapter 8 verse 31. It says then Jesus began to teach them that the son of man, he himself must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and experts in the law and be killed. And I think that's all that Peter heard. I think that's all that Peter heard. Suffering and dying. And then Jesus said, and after three days, rise again. Verse 32, he spoke openly about this. <laughs> Don't you love this next part? I just love Peter, right? Bless his heart. Just think about doing this to Jesus. Look at this. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, right? I mean, like, it's one thing if I say something stupid up here and, you know, like Jake or, you know, somebody like, just come here, man. Come here, buddy. <laughs> you said something really stupid. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It won't happen again. 
you know, I didn't sleep a lot last night or, you know, something like that. This is Jesus. <laughs> Think about the context. Jesus just healed people. He fed thousands of people with nothing. This is Jesus. This is the same guy who Peter just said, you are the Christ. And Matthew's gospel tells us more of the story that, that you know, Jesus says, Peter, I'm going to build the church on you like this. You're going to be the rock. You, this group of misfits, you're going to be the rock on which I build the church. And the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Like Peter's just heard all that. And then Jesus is like, and I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die for the sins of the world. And then I'm going to raise for three days. And Peter's like, Shh, hey, hey, buddy. <laughs> Not, that's not the plan. That's a bad plan. <laughs> Jesus wasn't messing around at this point. Verse 33 says, but after turning and looking at his disciples, I just, I'm sure Jesus didn't look at it like I would. But can you imagine Peter's got his arm around you? You're Jesus and, you know, he rebukes you. And then it says that Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. Can you imagine what that was like? And be like... <laughs> guy's crazy right but he wasn't like that at all was he jesus looked at his disciples and he's going to begin to tear down a wall in the disciples heart that you and i must face as well because look what he says to peter after looking at his disciples in other words you guys need to listen in too he rebuked peter and said get behind me satan you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Wow. The first realization that has to happen in the life of any Christian and then be reiterated for the rest of our lives is the real realization that we must submit to the ways of God and not our own. And that's so much easier to say than do. So much easier to say than do. Peter had good theology, but bad ecclesiology. And that's just a fancy way of saying Peter knew the right answer, but he didn't want to live the right way. It was one thing for him to come on Sunday or hang out with Jesus or watch the miracles happen. It was a whole other thing for him to not get the king he was looking for. See, because that's what it was really all about, right? Peter and all of the Jewish people were looking for a certain type of king. One that was going to come and Jesus himself said in Luke chapter four, he himself said that I've come to set the captive free. And they were like, yes, that is what I'm talking about. But they missed what was actually holding them captive. What Jesus was saying, it actually doesn't matter what happens to you in this life. It's going to matter a whole lot what happens to you in the next. Jesus is the Messiah, but not the kind people expected. It's obvious, isn't it? Or it, at least it seems obvious that when Peter says you're the Messiah, he's thinking of this military force that's going to come and fulfill the line of David and set the people free from the Romans, not from their own heart, captivated by their sin and their pride and their idolatry. For Jesus to be the Messiah means that he's the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, doesn't it? Not just this victorious military king 
We're going to come next week. We're going to look at Mark chapter 11. And we're going to talk about the fact that the, the people were doing the same thing that Peter did. As he rides in on a donkey, they're going to be laying their clothes down. And they're going to be laying palm branches down. And they're going to be shouting Hosanna, which means save now. And they're going to expect him to ride in. And just like he made something out of nothing with the bread and the fish and fed the people, they're going to expect him to ride in to do, make something out of nothing in Rome and in Jerusalem. So the disciples don't get it and we wouldn't get it. Maybe they think following King Jesus is going to mean fame and status and importance, but Jesus makes it clear that following him is more like dying. Think about that. It's more like dying. It should be that way sometimes, shouldn't it? We live in a culture, even a church culture. Can I just pass through for a minute in Tampa Bay? There are even a church culture in this city that will say to you that if you do certain things, God's going to bless you. I just want you to know what, what God sees as blessing may not look like what you think is blessing. What Job thought was blessing, God apparently didn't think was blessing. What Peter thought was blessing in this moment wasn't blessing. God's going to say... Later to him, I'm going to show you all these things that you're going to suffer for my name. And it wasn't until Peter saw the resurrected Jesus that it clicked. So I just want to ask you today, like, what are you what are you doing with Jesus? Have you seen the resurrected, the crucified lamb? Good Friday. And then the resurrected son of God seated on his throne because he's Lord He's not just a good guy. He's not just a good teacher. He's Lord. Huge difference. A king who came to die is not what was wanted. It was not what was expected. However, this king who came to die was exactly what was needed. You and I have great need. We need a king. We need help. But not for our best life now. It is for our best life now, but maybe not the way we feel like it should be now. The danger for every one of us is that we live in the land of opportunity, right? Because listen to what Isaiah 43, 19 says. It's not going to be on the screen. Uh, Isaiah says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. See, it's often in the wasteland we want to get out of the wasteland and into the promised land. But right, God God rarely moves instantaneously. God is as much interested in the process of getting you where he wants you to go than just getting you where he wants to go. He is very much interested in shaping you and molding you into the man or woman that he wants you to be. See, because what happens to most of us is we'll come on Sunday or We'll listen to a podcast or we'll, we'll do something or we'll read the word on our own and, and we'll get a convicting message from God. But then we take that convicting message and we try to uh, make it fit into our life in such a way that we don't have to change our life. 
How can I fit this into my life without changing my life? But what did God say beginning with Isaiah and then he continued with the Apostle Paul and the Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Behold, all things are new. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. We need to stop asking how we can fit the message of this book into our life without changing our life. I'm preaching to myself right now. Not just preaching to you. Because you know what? I like my stuff. Just confess to you, I like I like having stuff a lot. I like I'm like you know it. <laughs> Slow down on the confession there, big guy. <laughs> I need Jesus just as much as you is what I'm trying to say. It's powerful. We live in a land full of opportunities to walk away from Jesus with our better plans. Jesus, you don't want me to die to myself. You want to get me a new iPad, right? Like, you know, I need it. Right? And you're just like, man, how silly. How silly. I listened to a preacher once a couple years ago and it just like, I don't know why it just hit me in such a way, but he was talking about this and he was just like will you go and stand before god and say god check out my new boat you know like no like we're not going to be and by the way if you have a boat let me know i'd love to come hang out on it not knocking having a boat all right you can bless your pastor with that boat but is that what we're going to go stand before the throne of god and be worried about of course not of course not no, no, no. We're going to be doing what we did earlier. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We're going to be on our face. So if we're going to be on our face there, we definitely need to be on our face here. Right? Like, we, we need to be much more convinced of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our life that, that we believe it enough To get on our face and ask God, where, what, when, how long, where do you want me to be? Because we already know what he wants us to do, right? Like, that's not the question. That question has been answered. It's a lot of pages in here to answer that question for you and I. To convince you that you can't do it by yourself. That he's going to have to do it through you. And then he tells us what it is that he wants us to do. But too often we're trying to fit it into our life instead of change or allowing it to change our life. And as you ponder that, you know, Jesus, even in this text, tells us what that should look like. He tells us exactly what that should look like. So we've we've gone from you are the Christ to You are Satan. Yes, I am the Christ, but you're the devil. And apart from what's Jesus say, it it just makes the Bible come alive, right? If he's God and I'm the devil, I'm evil. When Jesus says in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Like now it makes sense. Why? Because left to myself, right? It's what the Old Testament says. My heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? 
Apart from him, I'm, I'm in trouble. It would be tragic for us to go through this life and get everything we wanted. And stand before God and have nothing. Because look at what he says. You know, so we, we've started small. And Jesus is teaching his disciples. And he's rebuking Peter after being rebuked by Peter. And then we come to verse 34 of Mark chapter 8. And Jesus calls a crowd along with his disciples. Jesus just attracted people everywhere he went. He repelled a lot of them. But here they come. And here's what he says. Remember where they're standing. They're standing at this place, the gates of hell. Everything that you want in this life right here, everything you need in this life right here. That's what Jesus is saying. You know, there's, there's this picture. He was a great teacher. Calls the crowd. If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever wants to lose his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. And then the telling answer. For what benefit is it for a person to gain the whole world yet forfeit his life? What can a person give in exchange for his life? This is is the argument that, well, I'm a pretty good person. So what? What can you give in exchange for your life? That's why Paul said all my good works are like filthy rags. Some, some translators would, would translate that toilet paper. Why? Why such graphic, strong language? Because otherwise we don't get it. We downplay it. We downplay it. What benefit is if you gain your whole life, your whole world, You get everything you want. You make all the money you want. Or maybe it's not even about making money for you. Maybe it's about just having the freedom from authority or freedom from people telling you what to do or whatever it is for you. Recognition. What benefit is that? What can can you exchange for your life? Look at verse 38. For if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... The Son of Man, Jesus, will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What an awesome thing. This is why Hebrews says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Hebrews tells us he's an all-consuming fire. Why? Because he's going to burn up the things that don't matter. What good is it if you gain this whole world and lose your life? It doesn't mean the things you have are wrong. But if the things you have have you, it's wrong. Three things in our lives must be put to death if we're going to follow Jesus. Our self-centered life, our safe life, and our self-serving life. Right? So the band's going to come up, the ushers are going to come up. We're going to take communion. And communion is all about remembering Christ, right? But for a lot of us, remembering is is going to be bigger than it's going to be bigger than just thankfulness, right? It starts with thankfulness. 
But lordship doesn't just stay at thankfulness. It allows change. Amen. It allows change. And listen, freedom is in the change. (laughs) Right? We've sang about it. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed, right? That is all through the New Testament. It's Paul in Galatians. For freedom, Christ has set you free. And you might be thinking today, like, I don't feel free. You guys can go ahead and pass the elements out. I don't feel free. I think it's because we've got tight hands. We're hanging on to our own stuff. We're hanging on to our ideas. We're hanging on to our plans. And Jesus is looking at you today, saying to you what he said to Peter. You've got your own interests at heart. You don't have God's interests at heart. You see, it's the only way it makes sense that God has orchestrated for some of you to make a lot of money and some of you to make no money. Why, why does that even make sense? Because we've got our interests in mind, not God's. Right? God's given you what He's given you to steward for His plan that He's got you in. And, 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 and we walk around with open hands. I, I'm working on this, guys. I'm working on this. Because it's hard. And listen, there's so many times where He taps me on the heart and says, that's what I'm talking about. Go do it. You know, it, 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 and it's, it's so all-encompassing, right? It has to do with our finances, of course. But it's not just that. Like, we often go to that because it's, it's easy and it's there. But it's with our words. It's with our spirit, right? Daniel says he distinguished himself in Daniel chapter 6 because he had an excellent spirit within him. Under control of the Holy Spirit. So that everywhere I go, light moves into the darkness. What an awesome thing. If we're going to unashamedly follow Christ, it will regularly be hard, but it will always be worth it. Carrying our cross means rejecting pride, rejecting violence, rejecting selfishness, and giving your life for others in acts of service and love. Your neighbors, your co-workers, your wife, your husband, your kids. We've got to stop for freedom's sake. We've got to stop looking at our own interests. Start looking at God's because that's where freedom lies. If it's all about me and mine, I'm going to be a slave to that. God's asking us to go outside of that.